Yes, sir. It's All Eyes on Cleveland, the podcast. I'm your host, Brad Ward, and it certainly is a wonderful welcome back to Rashad Hollywood Higgins as he signs for a one-year deal for $900,000 with the Browns. Mary Kay Cabot reportedly said he turned down money worth more elsewhere to stay with Baker because he loves him that much. We are done with the first ever virtual NFL draft. And we have a wonderful guest here to talk to us about it tonight. The one and only Nick Shook from around the NFL and NFL media. You start getting excited. I love that, Mikey. I love your choice tonight. The welcome back for Rashad Higgins, fan favorite, beloved by all of Cleveland. As you can see, Twitter has been nothing but a uh, a party for Rashad Higgins as he, out of nowhere after the draft, is uh, signed to a one-year deal, returns to the Browns, taking less money to say with Baker Mayfield per Mary Kay Cabot's report. Um, and how about that? Rashad Higgins, one of my favorites. He's got the uh, big picture of him walk, walking the red carpet. Uh, it says Free Higgins. Uh, I post that all the time on hashtag Free Higgins. And uh, Higgins is back. And then, you know, you throw in Donovan Peoples Jones. Um, and that wide receiver room is certainly shored up uh, for sure. And uh, that's a good thing for the Browns. We've uh, completed a draft. Andrew Barry, the youngest GM in the NFL, uh, completed his first ever draft. We're going to hit that. And like I said, special guest tonight, Nick Shook, gave us a ton of time to go through the draft, talk about what's going on in the NFL, break down your Browns picks. He is outstanding. One of my favorite guests always. Uh, he works at around the NFL, NFL Media. And uh, we're going to get to that interview promptly but first you can listen to this podcast all the time at itunes Spreaker, soundcloud stitcher spotify iHeartRadio, the tune in app radio.com and google play will be published tomorrow morning at usa today sports media groups the browns where i write where this uh podcast is published uh you can also go to all eyes on cleveland.com that's the website you can grab any of uh there's all kinds of browns gear on there you can get the new jersey on the website now as well as getting your content here from the show all eyes on cleveland of the podcast uh as i mentioned i'm brad ward i'm the host uh mikey's on the ones and twos bringing us back with the welcome back for rashad higgins we love that uh and uh yeah um, amazing stuff but the nfl draft no chimes this year uh, as Roger Goodell waving awkwardly at people on screens uh, behind him. Uh, kind of an odd setup there, but uh, and then by uh, later in the night or uh, Friday night was looked like he was going to fall asleep on his recliner. Uh, but uh, the virtual draft was really a pretty amazing how they pulled it all together. It was cool to see uh, you know the kids, families together with the 
uh, uh, GMs and the coaches and paying attention. Of course, they all wanted to get on TV. Some strange things going on in the Vrabel household uh, as it appeared that maybe someone was... uh, I, using the restroom in the back room with the background with the door open that was uh odd and then you've got your rugs uh wearing the old spice white robe uh love uh that look for him um and uh I like that pick too as he can fly um and so uh everything was going pretty well in the first round uh until the green bay packers took jordan love uh, traded up uh traded away a fourth round pick to trade up and get jordan love in one of the most puzzling moves i've seen in a long time one that uh you know they're in a super bowl window they got gashed by the san francisco 49ers in the nfc championship game gave up over 180 yards uh rushing before contact uh, an absurd number um, and, and were manhandled and then they don't add uh, a defender uh, they don't go offense in the first round to give Rodgers a weapon instead they go Jordan Love with uh, four years remaining on Rodgers contract um, Nick Shook had a little bit different take on it uh, you know a lot of people I mean Chris Sims was downright furious on his podcast uh, about the pick uh, if you're a fan of Rodgers and the um, Packers, you can't be happy. You you would think, you know, you would want to address in that Super Bowl window anything but that. That's the one pick that doesn't really get you better immediately. A different kind of perspective uh, is Nick made me look at it a little differently. We're going to get to that interview. He was tremendous. Uh, he loved this draft. I knew he would. He is uh, excellent evaluating offensive linemen, so this was right up his alley. Uh, but we, we got through it all in the interview here, uh, as you'll hear Nick talk about this stuff. And uh, I know you guys will enjoy this interview. I got to, uh, you know, he works for around the NFL now. Uh, so we got to, I got to ask him about, you know, Cam Dalton, that Green Bay pick. Uh, and he did a story this morning. Morning on Andrew Barry's comments about Beckham as he tried to shut down uh, Barry, that is, uh, quote unquote, AB unquote, uh, air quotes or whatever. Um, and uh, he tried to shut down the rumors about Beckham. Um, and we talk about his article as well and some of the comments that Barry made rather eloquently. Uh, I feel like some frustration. Maybe a little bit in that, uh, you know, they see him as a part of the future, according to Barry. So, um, and uh, had reportedly has been in contact with the coaching staff, and things are going swimmingly so far. But without any further ado, I want to get you to the interview. I will come back afterwards. Uh, I'm going to just do a quick little rundown on uh, Hig. Uh, Hollywood Hig uh, and his return to the Browns, what that means, uh, kind of backstory this a little bit, uh, give it a little perspective. Um, I'm going to talk about the one move that I would like the Browns to make that I think is key um, and, and that they need to make as, you know, you got some pushback from Barry when they talked about, you know, free agency being over. 
yes, uh, the majority of the players are gone, but there are some players out there that can help some teams. The Browns still have the most cap room in the entire NFL, like $36 million. Um, the one-year deals all come off the book next year. So they've done a good job filling holes with all the one-year deals deals on the defensive side of the ball. Then they get dealt and they, you know, we'll get into all that. But they did it. I, I like this draft. A couple, there was a couple picks that it's like I didn't dislike the pick they made, but I, I would have been happier if they made the they were off by like one so for example i really loved antoine winfield jr uh more than delpit a little bit but and he goes one pick after them uh and then the same thing with the phillips kid from lsu at linebacker i would have liked to seen them take malik harrison now he's an ohio state player we'll talk about that as well but one of the stupidest narratives in, in town is uh you know donovan peoples jones is from michigan i love that pick pound the table for it uh 44 inch vertical all the the traits that you want the speed the size um and uh he played in an offense that was uh, putrid at times quarterbacks that can't, couldn't get him the ball the production wasn't there but not to his fault um he actually played really well against ohio state and uh the guy it was a five-star recruit coming out of high school he's special man and to get him on the roster i think he is a great pick there great value there um and uh the fact that he's from michigan makes no matter uh so all of everybody that twitter wants to come to me and say this nonsense about kj hill kj hill does not have the upside as donovan peoples jones does um and you know nick will talk a little bit about that as he saw that at the combine as well but more than anything this stupid Ohio State fans that don't want Michigan players, even a media member, uh, you know, Munch, Mark Munch Bishop coming out saying, you have no heart, your team has no heart, or something else on Twitter. I mean, how absurd can you get? I mean, that is absolutely ridiculous oh, man. to do that to a draft pick. Uh, I mean, and the kid's starting his career, and some idiot in the media is going to come out and say that. I found that absolutely absurd. Uh, and, and people, Browns fans, need to get over that. They're, they're not in college anymore. They're in the pros now. They're on their favorite team. you got to root for them now. Uh, I mean, you don't have to root for them now. But, I mean, I, I like to pick. I like to pick a lot. And uh, whether he's from Michigan, Ohio State, or, you know, Timbuktu does not matter to me. Um, if they play is what can, what matters now, now that you're a Brown. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit about that with Nick as well. He agrees with me on that. Welcome back to Rashad Higgins. You're listening to All Eyes on Cleveland. Go to alleyesoncleveland.com. Here uh, is Nick Shook. Uh, follow him on Twitter at the Nick Shook of Around the NFL. Quality interview. I think you really will enjoy it. Uh, and appreciate everybody uh, that is uh, coming back and listening to all eyes on cleveland we are growing and that is a good thing so let's uh, get to this um interview enjoy it take it in breathe it in uh lots of good browns content here uh thank you for listening uh without any further ado this is myself and nick 
shook of around the NFL. And we welcome back to All Eyes on Cleveland, a friend of show, uh, one of my favorite guests every single time, Nick Shook of Around the NFL. How are we doing uh, this evening, Nick? Great. I wonder, do you, do you tell everybody that they're your favorite guest, or, or am I really your favorite guest? I actually don't, Nick. You are my favorite guest. One, I'll put you, I'll put you one in the top, top three easy. Yeah, yeah, one of. That's cool. I'm cool with that. That's. I'm still on the podium, so we're good. Yeah, top three easy, sir. You are a, a gentleman and a scholar and uh, <laughs> always willing to give your time over to uh, me, which is uh, something that I value. So I appreciate that, and you're a great guy. So. Yeah, no problem. Uh, Yes, uh, and uh, you can follow Nick on Twitter at the Nick Shook. I think we talked about that last time. Uh, your Twitter handle, mm-hmm. um, and couldn't pry that loose, right? Um, yeah, um, I don't. I don't think uh, Big Homie Jack over at Twitter um, is aware of my existence, which understandably so. So I think I'm stuck there. <laughs> uh, so I wanted to obviously uh, I want to get into the draft with you, but. My, I, I thought about you a lot during this draft. I'm like, God, Nick has to love this draft with these offensive linemen, right? Was this oh, like yeah. your Was this like your dream draft? Yeah, because so for a while I had Tristan Wirfs as my number one tackle, and then I kind of went back and just reevaluated the whole situation again and, and looked a little bit closer at the guys and realized after on, upon second look that. Jedrick Wills was actually the best tackle in the draft. And I think I came to the realization of that maybe a week or and a half before the draft. And, and so I'm sitting there on, you know, the first round Thursday night and I see the giants to Andrew Thomas at four. And then it's like, all right, well, who else up here is going to go for alignment? Is the team going to trade up to get alignment? Mm-hmm. And then as we got to like eight and we realized that, well, Arizona can either go tackle here or they can go somewhere else. And they didn't go tackle. We got to Jacksonville. I was like, the Browns are going to have their pick of the litter at, at, at tackle. The basically the top three tackles, according to most people's opinions, going into the draft, were going to be available for the Browns at ten. So I, as soon as they came up, and I mean they sprinted. They couldn't sprint to the podium because it wasn't in person, but it, they virtually sprinted to the podium with that big time that card in. Yeah, exactly. They hit that that one button that they had set yeah. and set it so fast, and, uh, and and it was delivered. And and you know, working with the league, I get the fix ahead of time before they're on, you know, the broadcast because that's how it operates. So I get the message on my computer before it's on the TV, and I was like, oh, yes, they made the pick. They finally didn't (laughs) screw it up. They made the pick. (laughs) So I kind of had a similar reaction to Joe Thomas. Uh, You know, I'm sure you saw that video that went around Twitter where he he freaked out and then went, Super Bowl, and ended it. Uh, I wasn't quite, like, as ecstatic, but, um, you know, from, from my perspective, it was an excellent pick. Yeah, so you love you love Jedrick Wills, and what uh, you know, I know you are uh, uh, one of the guys that really, really knows your offensive lineman stuff. Uh, I'm sure you studied all these guys and everything. What makes him uh, better than the other guys? You think? I think he's the most pro ready. He might not have the highest ceiling. I think Mackay Beckton has the highest ceiling, but we just don't really know if he'll ever get there. Jedrick Wills is the surest bet among all of them. He's a guy you can plug in as a day one starter. He's going to have to make the transition from right to left, but he'll have time to figure that out and really won't have an issue with it because his foundation, you know, his, his footwork, his knee bend, um, his, his base, the width of his base, how stout he is, 
his ability to change direction and combine with his athleticism to move around the field, both up the field and back in pass drop. He can't be beaten um, by a, a strong bull rush, really. Uh, he's got strong, heavy hands, and he's excellent at changing direction. He's got everything you look for in a tackle. I mean, you know, you want basketball players who are 300 pounds basically playing tackle, and he is that guy. He's about as solid as you're going to find in college. And, again, like I said, you know, you have to make the switch from right to left, but I don't think that's going to be a big issue because his skills that are there are going to translate. It's just a matter of changing your stance and getting used to a little bit different of a perspective. And I think that when you combine all of those things, and you, this is a team that needs a day-one starter at left tackle that suffered tremendously without one last year, and I think that's the guy who you can plug and play immediately and count on from a very early part in his career and he'll have, you know, a decade-long career with, you know, maybe five Pro Bowls or something like that. I mean, if the Browns are successful, yeah. people will pay attention to him. He might not necessarily be a Joe Thomas, but he's about as close as you can get in a draft. Yeah, uh, I know, you know, Joe Thomas was ecstatic about it, and then, you know, his offer is what he's going to work with him maybe. I was going to – my next question, I know you mentioned it a couple times, is how difficult is that switch? Is that just a muscle memory thing? From the right to the left side, I mean, I mean basically he played the right side because two is left-handed, right? Yeah, that's fine. Uh, so just basically he was playing left tackle, but ultimately he's going to have to change his, his side. How how difficult is that? Yeah, it's funny. Um, I think it's it's mostly muscle memory. It's it's a mental thing more than anything. It's it's in a pass drop instead of coming out in your in your set. And being as a right tackle, you put your left foot forward and your right foot back. You just ha- would have to switch that. You have to get used to dropping with a different foot leading and a different foot pushing off. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's just a matter of reps in order to really get that muscle memory uh, down so that it feels as natural as being on the right side did. But again, like I said, you know, it's everything else that he does. It doesn't really matter if he's on the right side or the left side. He's proven that he can do both things in either direction. So if you have a guy who's, um, you know, he's got the skills that you look for in a left tackle. Whereas sometimes you put your lesser of your two tackles at right tackle, he's got left tackle ability. It's just he was playing right tackle for a left-handed quarterback. So I think it's all going to translate pretty – it won't be super easy because you have to kind of retrain your mind. But right. everything else that you kind of can't teach or you work years to teach and work years to build strength-wise, he's already got it. So it'll be an easy transition. All right. That, well, that's good news. And then you, what was the, your final ranking of those, the top four guys there, the top four tackles in this class? I mean, that those are four guys that are, are legit, right? Like, I mean, you're talking, we probably won't see a draft like this in a while. Do, did you agree? Yeah, typically um, uh, uh, Wills is a guy that you see go in the top three or four. I mean, mm-hmm. if, yeah. if Wills is in Eric Fisher's draft class, Wills goes first overall. Yeah. Um, tackle is is a very valuable position, of course, uh, and, and there's a shortage of quality tackles in the league. There has been for a few years, so they are extremely valuable. Uh, and, I, and yeah, I think as a whole, the class is very strong. I think Wirfs, who ended up going in the mid-teens in Tampa Bay, uh, you know, he would be a guy who you take in the top five in, in, a, in a draft class that's not this one. I think Becton would. Becton, I just get a little bit worried about because of the – the fact that he's got some things to work on. Worst has some things to work on too, especially in his pass sets. Uh, when you're out there on an island as a tackle in the NFL, that's a crucial part of your game that he does need to improve upon. But a lot of those guys you still would take very highly. Um, and my final ranking to finally get to the answer was uh, was Wills at one, Worst at two, and it's, it's a pretty close second. 
Becton at three, but I think Becton could end up being the best out of all of them. You just don't really yeah. know right now because he's got some things he needs to Because he won with power. He won with force and, and size because he was so big in, in college that he was just manhandling guys who couldn't handle him. But he has a really, really light, really, really sweet feet. So he's pretty close to Worfs if I rank them overall. It's really like it's Wills, and there's a little bit of a space, and there's Worfs in Becton, and there's a space, and then there's Andrew Thomas. So, okay. um, and it kind of went the opposite way a little bit, but that's, yeah. that's how we'll go. Yeah, I, you know, I'm just surprised uh, with that that Andrew Thomas went so high um, there. I, I don't any explanation for that? Just different people value different things. Um, Dave Gellman, I think he was quoted as saying he's got length, and and that length will will help him be an excellent tackle for the Giants. Which you want length in a tackle, but you want more than just length. So, um, but yeah. Gellman's never never quite one for words. He's never like the best media guy, so I don't hold that against him. Uh, we'll see what Tom, Thomas does. He could end up being a good tackle for them. Lord knows they've needed one. Uh, we'll see what happens. Okay. Well, yeah, that was awesome and perfect for the Browns. Laid out perfectly for them. They get their guy. Uh, they seem adamant that Wills was uh, their top guy on the board of those, you know, uh, tackles. Uh, I mean, uh, you believe that, right? Yeah. I mean, they were extremely ecstatic from everything that they said. And, you know, sometimes right. it's fluff and because you're like, well, we have to justify the pick that we just made. We're not going to throw cold water on, on right. a pick that we just made um, publicly. But, you could, I think you could tell in their words that they were really, really excited to make that pick, and they, they were surprised that uh, that he ended up being there to take at 10. I think most of their mocks had made them realize that he might be the first tackle taken off the board or maybe the second, that two tackles were going to get taken in front of them. At one point, we were, you know, hearing that, that you know, Browns fans especially had come to me saying, you know, what's what will happen if the Browns are left with only one option of those four, and it's Andrew Thomas? I said, well, then you got Andrew Thomas. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. The fact that they didn't have to move at all to get him at 10, I'm sure Andrew Berry and Kevin Stefanski and everybody else involved, they were probably dancing, you know, victory dances right there. It definitely sounded like they were very happy as soon as they made that pick. Yeah, it was a genuine uh, reaction uh, of how happy they were. That he slid to them, and they he got the, they got their pick of you know the other three guys besides Thomas, which is ideal and uh, a sweet first night of the draft for the Browns. Uh, you know, if you look at their offensive line, they've transformed it now, and it, and it looks pretty solid. Uh, Worfs, uh, I heard some people say that Worfs needed to be a guard and not a tackle. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that was kind of the thought on him going into the combine. Then he had a really good combine workout that made people realize he might be more athletic than they realized. And mm-hmm. and and when you get those premier athletes, you tend to want them to be a tackle because, like I said, you want the basketball players out there, the guys who are very agile and have great footwork. And Wirth definitely has really good footwork. Um, he displayed it in the combine, and that was why he was my guy, uh, you know, going in for a while until I kind of reevaluated the situation. And um, it was very close to him and Wills for a while before I, I kind of redid those. So I understand why guys come out with different mocks and get more time to look at these things. But before that combine, they thought, well, his, his length isn't the best. And they yeah. were really worried about his pass setting issues. He oversets a lot. That's, you know, that's what Daniel Jeremiah said from NFL Network. Uh, he kept emphasizing that a lot of his breakdown of worst was, he oversets in his pass sets a lot, and it gets him beat in college. And as a tackle, that's one, especially a left tackle, you don't want to be that guy who does that because that's going to get your quarterback killed. It's something that you can fix. With the right coaching, you can fix that in the NFL. It's just something that he needs to work on. And because of that, 
guard is a much safer place uh, for a guy with that kind of issue because he's got a guy on each side of him as opposed to being a tackle and being out on the island and really being a, a point of risk if you can't improve that. Uh, I expect him to improve that and for it to not be a huge issue down the road, but uh, that was the only knock, a concerning knock, but the rest of it was there, and that's why I think he was elevated to firm tackle status as his combine was just so good you couldn't ignore the athleticism. You really wanted to at least take him as a tackle and really force himself out of being a tackle before you force him out, before you even give him a chance. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, you're listening to All Eyes on Cleveland, special guest. Uh, as I said, one of my favorites, he loves it that I say that, uh, Nick Shook at the Nick Shook on Twitter. Of around the NFL, we're talking Browns draft. Uh, just kind of covered the first round pick there with Jedrick Wills. Uh, we love, we know that uh, you love the, the big guys, Nick, uh, and uh, breaking those guys down. But let's take a look at round two here. Uh, thoughts on the Grant Delpit pick? Uh, was he? Did you have a rankings as far as safeties go? Um, well, I thought it was tremendous value. Uh, yeah. I, I was at one point. I think a lot of people too thought that Delphi would be in uh, back end of the first round pick. And when you know both the, of uh, him and McKinney were still available on day two, it was like, oh, I think there's going to be a run on safeties. And sure enough, yeah. there was. Um, so I thought it was excellent value and it addressed the need. I think the Browns overall. And this might be jumping the gun and answering your questions, but I think the Browns overall did a really good job of blending uh, need, filling needs, and BPA, best player available. Because, and it, maybe that's just the way the draft kind of shook out for them, or they navigated it well. Sometimes you navigate a draft better than others. It's just kind of the luck of the draw in that regard. But they did a really good job of blending the two. And I think Delpit could end up being, if he's not a day one starter, I think he's a guy you expect to start fairly soon because of his pedigree. You know, the guy's nicknamed Baby Maul after Jamal Adams, who's a stud in New York. And if, you get, if you're getting Jamal Adams in the second round or somebody like him, then you've nailed the pick, no doubt. Yeah, there's no question to me that he is going to be a very good player. And I would think he's a day one starter, right? Uh, my question around him was kind of, you know, he had – in 2018, he probably would have been a much – after the 18th season, he would have been a much higher draft pick. Uh, his, You can see – his tape from 18 to 19 changes. And I think it, a lot of it probably had to do with him playing with the high ankle sprain. Yep. Um, you know, he lacks the same explosion and quickness that you see from maybe I could, cause I liked, uh, I'll be honest. I liked Winfield's tape better. Yeah. Uh, and he went the next pick. Yep. Uh, thoughts on that. I totally agree. Uh, and I think that's actually a, a take that you might not hear that often when it comes to the safety group. I was a huge fan of Antoine Winfield Jr. Uh, he had an, an incredible combine. Yeah. And the only thing I was worried about with him was size, uh, yeah. which I think could hurt him down the road. But, and, but I mean, it didn't keep you know, them from, being, from him from being selected in the second round. Uh, I I was a, more of a fan of him than Delpit, but I think that Delpit was the better pick. Sometimes you know you, your bias isn't necessarily correct in these situations, even if you're more of a fan of the guy. I really totally. liked Winfield because of the tape, like you said, and I just like the way he kind of flies around the field. He was a do everything guy in Minnesota, and it's Minnesota. It's not LSU, so I get that. But mm-hmm. I'm a fan of how much effort he put into it, and and you know he's just a, a hard nosed kind of guy, and, and you always respect that. And that's not to say that Grant Delpit isn't. Grant Delpit had to deal with this high ankle sprain, like you said, all year. And anybody who's ever had one can tell you how uh, limiting that can be, especially for for a position where you're going to have to cover a lot of ground and cut quickly. 
the only position where you're going to be expected to cut quickly uh, more often and, and burst through areas is running back. So, uh, you know, as a safety, you've got to always be on the move. And I think it did limit him a little bit. But if he can return to that 2018 form, he wouldn't have been there in the second round. So it could be a blessing in disguise for the Browns and for him because, you know, if he does end up coming in and being a day-one starter, then, uh, you know, he could have a, a, a bountiful career ahead of him and and end up with a team that, you know, needed that help. So, you know, I think the Browns could luck out there uh, from that injury as long as he can come back healthily. You think he's got some time now and he's got a national championship ring on his hand as well. Uh, it was all worth it, but hopefully he can use these next months to really get entirely healthy and uh, and then kind of return to that form that we saw a couple of years ago. Yeah, you know, that's what you hope, right? And I'm sure that's what the Browns are hoping is, right? Like, and you sold too, like, in the, he played really well in the playoff games and stuff. So he kind of figured it out at the end of the season, you know, with the high ankle sprain or it got a little better or whatever. Um, but he, and then, you know, if you watch that 18 film and the 19, I mean, it's glaring differences in my opinion. In 18, if you showed me just the 18 film, I'd say, yeah, he's, you know, he's he's better than Winfield, right? But after watching the other stuff, it, it kind of made me conflicted. Uh, so you, I guess you bank that, he gets back to 100%, right? And um, you get him in your scheme, you get him coached up, and his size, I think, is a big thing too, right? With, I mean, you're going to be asking him to guard uh, or cover uh, tight ends, right, and stuff, and, and that's going to be uh, where that size comes into play, I'm sure. Um, so I like the pick for sure. I know he's a talented kid. I just wanted to get your opinions on the safety. I was hoping McKinney would slide, but – uh, I didn't quite make it there. Um, what other? Let me ask you this, uh, Nick. Uh, what other picks uh, were your favorites of the Browns picks? Do you have any favorites that stand out after those first two? Yeah, the last two they made, uh, I yeah. thought were really, really great picks. Uh, really, you know, I talk about Delvin being good value. I thought uh, Nick Harris and Donovan Peoples Jones could have been are, are excellent value. Um, Harris was my favorite center in this draft. Cesar Ruiz is more built to play immediately, but Harris has phenomenal feet. I mean, if you watch his tape, he doesn't, he never wastes a step. He always wins position wise. And that's why he was good in college. He was a starter as a true freshman at Washington. So he's got a ton of experience. The only thing he's lacking in is, is upper body strength. He got 20 reps on bench at the combine, uh, a little bit low for an offensive lineman, especially a guy who's going to snap the ball and immediately have to use that those chest uh, muscles and that ability, that basically that same motion to engage with an offensive lineman, you know, if he's got a guy who's head up on him, his nose is shaded as one tech or, or directly over him, uh, he's going to need help. He's going to need a guard help uh, if he plays early in his career. Now, because the Browns have J.C. Treader, you're not really going to rely on him to play early in his career. So you're going to give him the time and, and equipment, facilities, and, and direction necessary to put on more strength as he progresses and matures, you know, as an adult. And, yeah, he went through a college program, but, you know, now he's in the NFL, and he can devote all of his time to really in, in, increasing that and improving that. So uh, he's already got the footwork and the positioning and everything that you need that you really can't – some of it's natural. A lot of it is natural. You can't teach great feet. You can try to improve agility, but a lot of that is just God-given. It's just something that, you you know, you just got that twitch and you've got that ability to move your feet quickly and – and effectively, and he he passes with flying colors in that regard. So 
I was I loved watching his workout at the combine. You know, I think it, there's something to be said about who the coaches pick to demonstrate your drills at the combine. And every group, every offensive line group, when they went through every drill, Nick Harris demonstrated everything, and he was better at all of them than everybody else. And I was just sitting there going. We're on day three, and I'm like, I can't believe he's still out there. Man, the Browns should really go get him. And then they went and got him, and I was like, there it is. There's the move. And then Peoples-Jones, I think, is one of the best-kept secrets um, in college football in the last couple of years, at least in Big Ten football, because he just hasn't – he wasn't working in an offense that really benefited him or allowed him to make plays, and yet he still <laughs> made plays, and yeah. he's a freakish athlete. I mean, the guy, you know, had a vertical jump well over 40 inches at the combine, and, and he's four. just – yeah, exactly. I mean, he can he can jump out of the gym. He's got good hands. He he. I think he's a guy who is gonna people are gonna look back and go, wow, I can't believe this guy was there for the Browns. And he joins a receiving core where he's not gonna be asked to do much of anything, which is great because it's gonna allow him to make plays in space, much like Rashard Higgins, who the Browns resigned yesterday. Uh, and it really fills out their receiving core. So I don't think they could have done a better job in the later rounds than they did with those two guys. Well, that's awesome to hear about Nick Harris because obviously I did. I didn't know a whole ton about him, so that was a great evaluation from you there. And uh, so good value there, you, you think, and obviously actually a tremendous value the way you described it. And here's my question about him uh, in just kind of watching some of the, you know, the profiles they do and stuff like that, right, the breakdowns and stuff that you see. Can he play guard? Will they let him compete for guard this year? So I think that they're going to teach him to play guard. I don't think they're going to expect him to play. I okay. think that they are going to groom him to replace J.C. Treader three years from now. And they're wise in doing that. Now, he does have the footwork to be a guard. Guard is at – you're asked a little bit less uh, as a guard, but in a double team, typically the guard is the drive man. The center is the post man. So the guard will drive and then break tip off the second level, typically in your traditional double teams. Now, sometimes that changes based on alignment. But um, – so I think, you know, I don't know if they necessarily want to play him there. Uh, I, I do think that he's going to be a center long-term because he – now he has experience playing guard from, you know, at Washington. And I, and he could do it in a time of need. But, I you know, with where the Browns currently stand, I, I fully expect Chris Hubbard to get some reps at guard. I really do. Um, I think he'll be a swing tackle slash guard. I think he'll, he could be in the conversation. I don't know if I'm – off base there, but I just think that it's there, it'd be too or it'd be too obvious for them to not at least try that because I think he could be an effective one. It could really fill out that offensive line. The beauty the beauty of the offensive line is tackles are can be moved to play guard in times mm-hmm. of need when it's necessary, whatever they can be moved to play guard. Now you can't make a guard a tackle, right. but you can move a tackle to guard to play guard if you want them to. And because they've got a starting right tackle in Jack Conklin now, and you've got your ideal starting left tackle in Jedrick Wills, um, you guys still have Chris Hubbard on this roster. He's still making solid money, and he's a well-liked guy who I'm sure would be more than willing to try to figure out how to play guard consistently and potentially do it well. And if not, you got Wyatt Teller, and you've also got Drew Forbes, who I think still brings something to the table with a year to grow and learn and to continue to improve. So I don't really think the need is there to move Nick Mar- or Nick Harris season to to uh, to guard. I think you can just groom him as your long-term center, as your backup center, and really you add solid depth across the offensive line as long as they figure out who's going to start at right guard. Yeah, I, I had asked that question to somebody else, and I don't even remember what show it was, about Hubbard when we were talking. I think it was Jeff Risden, but I asked him the same thing after we were talking about how they restructured Hubbard's deal and how happy we were that he did that. 
and that it was, you know, something that maybe probably in the past the Browns front offices might not have been able to to do is it takes a little finesse to get that done, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so keeping him here is good, right, you know, because he can play all those positions, obviously, except for center, right. You know, you can move him around, whatever, if, if need be. In case of injury, I asked if he had a chance to start it at guard. He said that was an interesting question. He really didn't know. You think they'll give him a shot, though, right? Yeah, I do. Um, I, I I think that he's a guy who was really well-liked. In my time in the building, every sense I got from everybody was that they all really liked Chris Hubbard. He's a positive uh, influence in that locker room. He's not extremely vocal, but he shows up and works hard every day. Sometimes he, you know, he makes mistakes. We're all human, right? But um, but he was always a, a solid guy with me, and I, I know a lot of people like him there. I know the front office is a fan of him. Maybe not as a right test, their starting right tackle, but I, that's why I think he could contribute at guard. Like I, if they didn't like him, they would have just cut him because they they were ready. They had their out in the, in that deal now. Like they didn't have to restructure. They could have just cut him, taken the small dead cap amount that was left, and moved on. So yeah. obviously they think that he's still got some use, and I yeah. think that right guard could end up fitting him pretty well. Yeah, because ultimately, and and this is taking something that's very uh, technical and, and, you know, detailed and all that and making it very just simple and plain, but it's an easier position to play, right? Yeah, slightly. It is is slightly because, again, you're protected on both sides by a teammate. Um, Now, the the thing that's different is you're going to be asked to move more. Now, in today's game everybody can move once you get to the nfl pretty much every offensive lineman can move there's no big fat slow left tackles who can't move anymore uh, or right right tackles who can't move anymore because zone blocking has become so common all those guys have to be able to move laterally and upfield and still um, execute blocks successfully so you know if you're asked to to pull on on like a, a a long trap or a counter you know some people might think that's hard for some guys to do and and the differences can be noticeable on film because this game is already so fast but it's still easier to, to trap from guard than it is to pull on a counter from a tackle. So um, I think if you're equipped well enough to play tackle in the NFL and do it, you know, enough well enough to earn a five-year contract from a team, I think you could probably at least uh, take a shot at transitioning to guard. Because here's the thing, like I said before, you don't turn a guard into a tackle, but you can always try a guy at tackle first before making him into a guard and making him into a serviceable lineman. So if he's a serviceable tackle, odds are he's going to be a serviceable or better guard. Good stuff. That's good stuff. You know, it's nice that Teller's there. He feels like a safety net a little bit, right? And Drew Forbes has that upside, right? So that would be interesting. I think they can fill that spot. Obviously, they don't really need to go address it elsewhere, I don't think. You think you think the answer's in-house, right? Yeah, I do. I think at this point, um, you've had enough depth and starters across your line that they're in a much better uh, situation than they were in a year ago at this time. And I think, again, in the case of Hubbard, is if you suffer an injury on, on the offensive line of tackle, let's say Conklin, you know, God forbid, suffers some sort of injury and needed to put a guy in, you can always kick Hubbard back out to tackle. If, let's say if he was playing guard and then bring in a Teller or a Forbes to play guard, yeah. that kind of situation. They have the depth and the flexibility to do that now. So um, I think for the most part, they're, they're pretty good there. So they get Donovan Peoples-Jones. Uh, five-star recruit you talked about in his athleticism coming out of high school. Uh, and, uh, you know, I love the pick, too. I was banging the table on that last pick. Like, he's there. Take him, take him, take him, take him. Uh, 
you know, there's this stupid, the stupidest thing ever in this area about Ohio State and Michigan players. <laughs> I hate it so much. I'm actually going to go off on a rant on it, like, after you're off the show about how dumb it is that people, like, uh, around here, like, TJ Hill's better, TJ Hill's better, you know, and, and it's not it's a not. matter of who's better or not. It's just, you know, I think people's Jones in the sixth round has a ton more upside, right? Like, I had I had a ton of people come at me on Twitter as soon as I tweeted uh, praising the Browns for making this selection, which me too. Yeah. It blew my mind that that they all came back at me with the same response about KJ Hill. Look, wow. KJ Hill was a good receiver in college because he made plays mostly when you needed him to. Every he had that problem with fumbling on returns a few years ago for a little bit, and. But and he would make those plays in between. But I don't even think KJ Hill was the best receiver available from Ohio State in this draft. I think yeah. you know um, among those guys who were remaining at that point, I still think Benjamin Victor was a better prospect than he was. Yeah. And and I base a lot of that both on watching Ohio State on a weekly basis. You know, growing up an Ohio State fan, I always watch their games and everything else. But also their combine workouts. KJ Hill was rough. I mean, he did nothing to impress me at all. And, and not to go off topic, but I'm gonna just make this point clear here now. He did nothing yeah. to impress me at all, measurable-wise, and then his field workout was a nightmare. I mean, he had a ton of drop passes, and I know some of those quarterbacks throwing weren't the best, but a lot of other guys were making catches that K.J. Hill was not making. I mean, I thought he did a lot to hurt his draft stock in that workout, whereas Victor did a better job, and then Peoples-Jones, I think, was better than both of them. And then if you go back, you know, if you want to talk about production and success and everything else, football is a team game. But if you put Donovan Peoples-Jones in Ohio State's offense in place of K.J. Hill, he probably does a better job. And that's not just because the Browns picked him. That's because if you're looking at the receiver and taking away the the colors that they wear, Donovan Peoples-Jones is the better receiver than K.J. Hill, and I don't think there's any argument otherwise. Yeah, I I totally agree. And, I mean, the quarterbacks that were thrown in the ball and the offense, the stagnant offense they run up there, the coaching, just everything you have to take into account there. Uh, I just think that he, you know, like you already mentioned about his measurables, you know, he's got the size, the speed, the vertical. Um, certainly he can get better, you know, uh, you know, catching the ball at times and things like that. But, I mean, honestly, um, that's that's what he is here to do. So I love that pick. I was excited. And, I mean, we even have media members. Uh, we had a media member. I don't know if you saw this or not. Uh Freaking Mark Munch Bishop went on to Twitter and said, you have no heart, your team has no heart, something like that. Like, this guy it was on the radio for years and years and years, a legit media member, and he's doing this after they took Donovan Peoples-Jones. Like, taking a personal attack at him just because he played at Michigan. I that's mean, the thing, that, and that's my message, I think, to Browns fans in general, is to watch college football outside of Ohio State football. And yeah. and and remove the colors that they wear and, and try to evaluate the prospects for who they are. Step outside of turning on, you know, Big Ten Network or Fox or ABC or whatever it is, ESPN, uh, at 3.30 or noon every Saturday and go venture to other conferences. Get you, I mean, I know People's Jones played at Michigan and, and they ran to Ohio State every year and I had somebody make the argument to me that uh, look look at how look at their uh, performances in the Ohio State Michigan game this past year. People's Jones had like 79 yards on three. He did. He had a good game. <laughs> <He posted laughs> the production wasn't even the same. But so I recommend 
to you as somebody who ended up covering the Pac-12, which I think is the worst out of all the Power Five conferences, but as somebody who went and covered the Pac-12 in California for a year, uh, go watch football in other conferences. Get a better idea of the conferences that these guys are playing in and the competition that they're facing and the type of offenses that they run and everything else instead of just watching Ohio State, hoping that they go undefeated, win the Big Ten title, and end up in the college football playoff, where, by the way, they should have won the Fiesta Bowl. But we're, yeah. And if they don't, they get robbed because of bias elsewhere. Go watch, watch the college football landscape entirely and then come back to a draft and compare an Ohio State prospect against another prospect or maybe even a Michigan prospect. and You'll kind of get the idea that, okay, he went to Ohio State. Ohio State was successful, and he made some plays in between. But this guy, even though his team wasn't as good and maybe lost to Ohio State, might still probably is end up going to end up being better because guess what that original train of thought is what got you a guy like brian robeski in the draft Do you yeah, want I mean, that again 95 percent of the time the uh, the ohio state is has like twice the talent on their field on the team than they do any other college team that they play so it's really difficult to evaluate some of that right you know right, right. um you know ella i just watched a lot of uh, SEC football because honestly I think it's better and it's you know just the athletes are better and it's better competition and I don't know but it, yeah I totally agree with you and the the bias there is so dumb like somebody went to Michigan so what they have no heart they're a bad person people are down you know, oh they they don't the Browns don't Oh, you any Ohio State players, and then it's just absurd uh, uh, narrative in the I, area. And you know what? I understand because I grew up in Northeast Ohio and grew up an Ohio State fan, and I think I carried that bias at one point. I wanted Ohio State to draft Ted Ginn. You know, I wanted those guys to get drafted yeah. by by the Browns. I wanted the Browns to draft them. It's 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 something that I think you have to work hard to kind of remove yourself from. So I understand. But in order to give your take, because uh, like this, this argument to me is just preposterous. Like if you it just is. watch the two guys, it's just really preposterous. But it's clearly fueled by bias. It just, it's something else. Not to take up all your rant space for when I'm off this. But no, I'm right there do. with you. Please <laughs> do. It's, it's, it's a very ignorant point of view to be like, oh, the Michigan guy. Yeah. You know, hopefully they don't run. Hopefully they don't uh, run him out of town like they ran. Well, Braylon kind of ran himself out of town, but yeah, they helped yeah. run him out of town too. So, anyways, I love that pick as well. I was banging the table. I was hoping they would pick him. Um, so, you know, in my Browns mock, I had uh, I missed on the tackle, but I had him at tackle at ten, and then I, I had him at Winfield at uh, forty-one. They moved back to forty-four and chose Delvin, but they could have had Winfield. I missed by one pick there. And then I missed by one pick at 97 because they go Jacob Phillips, and I wanted him to take, you know, ironically, an Ohio State player in Malik Harrison who goes to <laughs> freaking Ravens yep, one pick yep. after them. Uh, thoughts on Jacob Phillips uh, and all the LSU. I mean, there's a lot of the LSU, uh, Missouri. I mean, Jordan Elliott is scored really high with PFF and so, some other guys. I'm going to actually have a PFF uh, senior analyst on to talk about. They gave the Browns an A plus to talk about their grading uh, here in a couple of days. Um, so, you know, just kind of have them break that down for our listeners and everything of how they do that and everything and why they got the A plus with them. But they love that Jordan Elliott pick. Thoughts on uh, the Elliott and Phillips pick at in the third round? 
I think Elliot. So when the Browns spent their pick on Larry Ogunjobi a few years back, a lot of people were like, "Who is this kid?" And he's ended up being a very solid player and, and has continued to improve year by him. year. Yeah. Um, I think that Elliot can end up following a similar path. I think he might make more of an impact earlier. Now he's not going to get as many snaps as Ogunjobi did at that time because he's going to be part of a rotation. But he's a guy who will make plays that are going to you'll be able to notice. Because of his back, his backfield penetration, his ability to get off the ball, his get off very good, he's got good explosion off the line, that kind of thing. Um, and I think that uh, you know you're going to see those pop up more, especially when he's going to come in fresh because he's not going to be playing every down. It adds serious depth to this defensive line, which I think needed it on the interior after you got rid of guys like Devereaux Lawrence in the middle of the season last year, and you were stuck with guys kind of coming off the scrap heap late in the season. Um, as injuries and everything else that happened in that disaster of a campaign, uh, kind of you know <laughs> took place. But so I think he makes a, a good a, a solid impact. It's not going to be an every down impact. He's not going to be playing every down. Um, Phillips, I don't know quite as much about. I know he was the leading tackler, and, and his film looks pretty solid. He doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, he's not a first round linebacker for a reason. And sometimes I worry, and this is just me being skeptical of of things in general, but. Sometimes I worry that, like, you know, back in 2002 when Ohio State won the national championship, uh, I think it was the not the following draft of the year after, the 04 draft, where they had a ton of guys get taken. And I think if you knew and you watched that Ohio State defense, you're like, oh, like four of these guys got overdrafted or probably aren't going to hack it. I always yeah. think about that linebacking trio. Uh, of uh, A.J. Hawk, uh, Anthony Schlegel, and Bobby Carpenter. Mm-hmm. And one of them, I think he's a carpenter who's on ESPN now, or, or it might be Schlegel, but I remember, like, I think it was Carpenter, was a first-round pick, and I was like, oh, I don't think he's that good, and he ended up not being that good. So yeah. um, the risk is not nearly as great with this guy, but I just worry when you see a championship-caliber team like that defense – and a ton of guys come off their team and go to the NFL because of how, you know, uh, resounding their victories were and how overwhelmingly um, uh, impressive they were on the field. Uh, sometimes you worry that maybe some of those guys that got drafted didn't quite uh, warrant those picks. I don't think he's necessarily that guy. I just kind of, it's just kind of in the back of my mind when I think about it. But the Browns needed depth there. So, uh, oh. you know, maybe he ends up being a tackle machine. Sometimes you can be a tackle machine – just from being on the field a lot. I think we saw that early in Joe Schobert's career. Yeah. Um, maybe in some case, uh, to a lesser degree, DeQuell Jackson, who was a good middle linebacker, but, you know, you kind of think, well, the Browns' defense was, all, or was on the field all the time back then, too, because their offense could never stay on the field. Yeah. Um, so I think the leading tackler thing is kind of a, a deceiving stat sometimes, but at least he can make the tackles. And, yeah. um, and I think it's going to be kind of a – where you're making the tackles. Right? right, exactly. I think it's going to be a by-committee thing at linebacker. I think that, you know, it's going to be mixing him with B.J. Goodson and Mac Wilson, you know, Itaki Taki and whoever else that they, you know, figure will be in the mix there to try to fill out that that position group, which is which – is, uh, it's still their weakest group no. um, on, that, on the defense, but I think it's still better than it was a week ago. Yeah, it definitely – I mean, and just adding a body makes it better. I mean, honestly, because it's so young – I mean, really, you have one player with any experience, and he's going into his second year, right? I mean, um, I, I don't know. With, well, besides Gibson, right? So, um, but like, I, I just or good Goodson, sorry, Gibson, Goodson. Um, <laughs> and but like Phillips, he seems really athletic, and like he tackles really well. I just, I guess, 
uh, I worry about him in coverage, you know, change of direction, stuff like that, I guess. I liked Malik Harrison better, and just like in round two, they missed him by one pick, or, or they could have had him, but they missed him. Um, did you, what do you think about that? Any thoughts on uh, liking Harrison better, or really no, you know, doesn't matter to you, or... Well, it's funny because we we go on this rant about the Browns drafting Ohio State players. And then I wanted an Ohio State player. Yeah, Yeah, but here's the thing is I was sitting there thinking the exact same thing. I was like, oh, Malik Harrison's still out there. Oh, the Browns are up soon. Oh, they could use a linebacker. Oh, this this might be the pick. And then they go with Phillips and then then the next thing, uh, the next pick after you know, Malik Harrison goes off the board of the Ravens. Who usually and people, wrong picks raved about, so, and people yeah. raved about that pick. They're like, oh, yeah, the Ravens got another guy, you know, perfect. Well, for the look, look the, Ravens, the Ravens had a really good draft. I mean, they got oh, no they didn't they didn't need to draft first-round talent all over the place, but they got stronger all over the roster. And, and that, that's who they are. That's who they've been for a long time. That's why they've been effective for a long time. So, you can't fault them. It was a good pick. It would have been a good pick for the Browns, and you hope the Browns pick works out at that position and that the front office knows something that you or I might not know. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, there's, I can't claim to say that I watched a lot of Jacob Phillips tape, and I and I didn't, and I didn't really watch a lot of Malik Harris, and I just knew that I liked him. Um, Jordan Elliott, though, uh, I like him a lot. You know, I feel like he he's really. You know, he was asked to do a lot of what they do in the NFL where, you know, you're going to lock out your guy and then disengage, play two gap, you know, and he was really, really good at it. You know what I mean? Get, getting off that block um, and filling the gap. He plays the run really well. I feel like he'll be a really nice rotational piece there. But um, the other pick I have to ask you about is Harrison Bryant. Thoughts on him? Interesting pick to me. Um, yeah. I think he could. He's a guy who was beloved at uh, at Florida Atlantic. Um, you, I kind of heard a lot of him in the in the pre-draft process, or a lot about him in the pre-draft process. His combine, um, he didn't jump out extremely to me. Uh, maybe not as much to match the the, the talk about him, mm-hmm. and his tape didn't quite either. But it, it was still solid. It was. It just wasn't like. This guy, at one point, it sounded like they, people thought he could be the best, the first tight end taken, which ended up being Cole Clement, which I think was an accurate pick. But, yeah. um, you know, I, I I think it's a good, another good value pick for the Browns. The only thing that makes me kind of hesitate on this is what is your tight end group? What are you trying to make your tight end group into? Because Harrison Bryant, I think can he's a good pass catcher. He can play the seams well of the field and take advantage of the defense. And he also is a very willing and effective blocker. Um, I think he, you know, could maybe stand to put on a, just a few more pounds than where he is because yeah. he doesn't look he doesn't look as big as he is like weight wise. I think he's listed at two fifty. Doesn't really mm-hmm. look like he's two fifty because he's so long. Uh, but it just the only the only question I have about this tight end room now is if we're trying to do if if the Browns are trying to do something similar to uh, what the Vikings had in in trying to create a combo of, of a Kyle Rudolph and a Nerve Smith. Those are two guys with very differing styles. Now, Irv Smith can still go catch the football, but he is known for being a forceful blocker. And your Browns' top two tight ends right now are Austin Hooper and David Njoku and Harrison Bryant's your third. So maybe you think Harrison Bryant is a mix, a blend between that and your, and your Irv Smith. But, like, what we have, what, what if you're looking from the Browns' perspective right now, what, what you have on, in your tight end group is you have David Njoku, who's your pass catcher and your weapon, your vertical threat type of guy down the middle of the field who can also win your jump balls and be a tower in the red zone for you to rack up touchdowns if he can stay healthy. 
Mm-hmm. He's not. I don't. He hasn't committed to blocking so far. I don't know no. if he will. Um, you know, there are times where you're like, you know, you could you could have done better. And I know that that was a talk on him going into last season. Then he missed most of it with injury. So uh, if that's if that's your main tight end weapon, and then you got Austin Hooper, who was the number one tight end on the market this year, and you paid handsomely, uh, and you expect him to be a weapon, then you've got two weapons there. But my only question is, is do you ever have that guy who's going to be your like force of a blocker? Maybe that's who they think Bryant is. Maybe that's who a guy like Farrell Brown is. Um, and maybe you have a solid tight end room. I just need to see how it shakes out. I can't quite project how exactly they're going to use those guys, and maybe that's part of the approach there is a little bit of mystery. But they definitely are way more talented at the position than they've been in past years. Yeah, I agree. You're right because you don't have anybody like Irv Smith who can do both, right? So, like, if you're going to line up, you know, Cooper and Njoku on the field, you're tipping your hand to the defense, right, Um, a little bit without that blocker. I know Cooper can block a little, but not – right, he's not Irv Smith, like you said. Bryant could be that guy. Yeah, I mean, he Bryant, could end up being that guy. He could, and I, I think I think they'll keep uh, what's it, Carlson. He could do that, yeah. right? Well, he he was he ended up on the practice squad last year, but yeah, he's he. I call him like he's like a mini Seth, Seth the Valve, and Seth yeah. the Valve was a willing blocker. He wasn't a great blocker, but he was a willing blocker. Yeah, he made that incredible catch in the end zone against uh, Pittsburgh, right? Yeah, yeah. Of of all people, right? Of all people, yeah. <laughs> That just shows you what a debacle it was. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so, you know, you're right. They've added a ton of talent there, and I don't know a lot about Nick Harris, so I appreciate the evaluation there. You're listening to the one and only Nick Shook. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at the Nick Shook and uh, of Around the NFL. And he is uh, good around the NFL. He is always uh, – writing and uh, on top of things there. just wrote an article about uh, what Barry was on. Uh, Andrew Barry, who they call AB now, and I hate that. But, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I hate that. I don't know why. I do hey, it's, better, it's better than the other reported nickname uh, for his old boss, right? What's that? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. We're not, not going to go there. <laughs> no, no, I, I can't. Uh, and then um, he uh, was talking about Beckham. They, of course, bring up Beckham, right? And he uh, went pretty deep into saying that he's uh, part of their long-term solution, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, and I thought that the response that Andrew gave to the Good Morning Football crew today was, um, it, it was, I think it was nuanced. I think it came from a, a bit of organizational frustration with the whole thing. Absolutely. And I thought it, I thought it was delivered very well. Uh, you know, he said, look guys, every time we've been asked about this, we've, there's been no ambiguity on our part. We've told you point blank that Odell Beckham is in our long-term plans and we value him as a player and as a person. And that the transition of the new coaching staff has gone well so far and there's no reason to be concerned. And that's that. And yet this persists in part because it's Odell and whenever Odell, you know, blinks, it's a story. And also because, um, you know, there's not all that much to talk about in terms of player movement of that stature. So because you have other reporters from other outlets putting this out from time to time, um, the talk is going to continue endlessly. I mean, I, I get messages from time to time, just from friends or, or whoever, 
tweets from random people who are like, all right, so Odell to this guy for a second in this. Who says no? I mean, and you, and it doesn't help that you even have radio hosts in Cleveland sometimes offering something similar. So I get it. You have airtime to fill, but it's it's kind of a moot point. It's not. It's kind of a dead topic right now. Um, it is. People should probably move on, but I understand. You know, you got to fill your time. You got however many hours of radio or TV to fill in a week or in a day, and there's nothing else to talk about now. But Oh boy, it's getting it's getting to be a tired story, that's for sure. It is. That tool Colin Cowherd is sort of the exact opposite every day. You know, it's just, and I don't believe that he has any credible sources to say that he's just doing what he does, trying to rally up, you know, uh, a fan base or a market or whatever. But it's just uh, it's a ridiculous uh, narrative. You know, I I could believe. I could believe the sentiment that he wanted to be in L.A. I mean, he stays in L.A., you know, in the off season. As someone who lived in L.A. and didn't have near the amount, I mean, not even a, a small, tiny percentage of the amount of money that Odell has, nor the fame or anything else, I can understand why he'd want to live there and, and be there and play for the Rams or the Chargers. But So I do believe that part. But I don't think that it's now him trying to get there. I think that, you know, he's with his best friend. You know, yeah, Cleveland isn't the prettiest city and it's everything, but it's got its Cool perks, and you know, Dell yeah. likes to go bowling in in uh, bowling alley, and in, in basically a little bit north of Berea, I mean, basically on the edge of Berea and Parma. So, I mean, you know, sometimes you like to get away too, and Cleveland's a good place to get away. Yeah, and in Hyde, you know, you're, you get away from the limelight a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's always talking about the perception of him. Well, sometimes if you just stayed out of the spotlight a little bit and maybe you know quite quite it down a little, then there wouldn't be as much of that. I yeah, I think, think I think he struggles with that. I think he struggles with that. You're right. I think he gets a bad rap too, but I do think he struggles with knowing. Um, it's kind of because sometimes I think that it just comes to him, like he doesn't ask for it. But then there are other times where he does things where he is asking for it, even if he doesn't quite understand that he's asking for it. And so there's somewhere in between where he's kind of. And I think as he gets older, he'll just continue to learn when to do things and when not to do things. And I'm sure he's frustrated by that attention sometimes. He went on that Twitter rant the other day during the draft that people are, you know, they were showing a montage of him hitting the kicking net when he was with the Giants and it was the Giants' turn to pick. And he was upset about that because he's like, I've been gone, and that's what you choose to highlight me after all the good times that we've had, and this is what you highlight me. And so I get that frustration, and and he probably feels like he's been wronged and that everything is a story with him. It really is, especially in this market where some people, uh, you know, I mean, we got look, everybody needs Internet traffic, right? So some people need, need clicks, and, Odell is always a money, you know, he's a money headline. He's good for SEO. He's going to get you some traffic. So um, I get it. I understand. Um, but I think from his perspective, sometimes he just kind of draws eyes even when he doesn't want to because of who he is. And other times he actually, he draws eyes, you know, he, he does it when he wants to. He does it sometimes when he doesn't want to. And then it happens to him when he does nothing at all. So, yeah. you know, two things on Beckham. He's, He's art- he's very articulate. He's very well spoken. I think he's he's surprisingly self aware at times, um, from listening to him talk. Like I enjoy listening to him talk when he's being just Odell, like with the Cleveland media. But like he does he has these moments to me, Nick, where it's like, Okay, let me go in the middle of a like a whole bunch of people and stand up on top of, uh, you know, the highest point in the room, stand up on a table with a megaphone and scream, quit looking at me, 
Like that's my, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. you know, don't pay, don't pay attention to me. You don't write about me, but you're screaming at it and you're wearing like a clown suit or something. Like, what do you expect? You know what I mean? Uh, if you if you do certain things, people are going to pay attention. Um, it's just uh, he needs. You're right. He struggles with that transition of like he's being persecuted by the media constantly. Uh, why they why they pay attention to everything I do? Well, it's because there's a certain way that you do everything, Odell. You know what I mean? Um, that that brings some of that on you. Now, some of that's his fault, and some of it's not. But um, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting thing. Um, yeah, I, I, I think I think because of the way his career transpired in in you know the largest media market in America, um, you know he he. His popularity exploded with one play on Sunday Night Football, and yeah, it changed his world forever. Which he'll readily admit that it changed his world forever, for good and for bad. Um, that I think as he gets older, and part of the maturity process for him, the maturation process for him, uh, is just recognizing when this is going to draw eyes and when this isn't. When there's always eyes on you, you have to expect that it's going to multiply no matter what you do. So you kind of just have to figure out step by step what. What what is going to draw the negative attention? What's going to draw attention? And what's going to draw the least amount of attention? I think it's something he continues to figure out and gets better at. But it just takes time. I mean, he's basically he the same age. He's the same age as me, and I understand. You learn more every day. So, you Absolutely. know, yeah. uh, I, I get it. I, I definitely get it. But I think he's getting better at it. Yeah, definitely. Um, and uh, and he, you know, ultimately, he did some silly things last year, but nothing heinous. Uh, so, you know, I, I feel like he's been relatively, I feel like if they were winning last year, I don't think he, it would have mattered at all, anything he did, you know, it was, uh, the, you know, the shoes and, the, you know, all that stuff, like. Yeah, and, and people, people want to jump, they want a reason to jump on it. Well, right. Not, not to go on a super long rant about this whole thing, but he, they, People, a lot of people want a reason to get all over him, and especially like you said, when things are going poorly, they want to point the blame at him because he's an easy target. Yep, I agree. Um, my other thought on him, with Barry making those comments today, is I, great job by Andrew Barry to kind of try to draw a line in the sand, like you said, out of frustration a little bit. But he's so well spoken all the time, right? Uh, very well laid out try to put some of this stuff to rest you're never going to put it all to rest but ultimately long term it's a real thing i think that it's a real story because the browns can't exist with two wide receivers making 14 million dollars for multiple years can they uh well, you gotta pay Baker. You gotta pay Miles. You gotta pay Denzel. You maybe you want to pay Chubb. Maybe you want to pay Kareem Hunt. Maybe yeah, there's a lot of guys who are gonna be due for contracts before you know it. Greedy's gonna be a well two years behind Denzel because well a year behind Denzel because he doesn't have the fifth year option. But you know you're gonna rely on a lot of those fifth year options. You're gonna have some tough decisions to make. I think that this is a pairing that probably is together for maybe two or three more years in that contract. I mean, what's Odell got last four years in that five-year deal? Yeah. And and I think Jarvis and him are almost in line around the same time to hit free agency. So it's yeah. obviously good thing. All good things come to an end. And you just hope yeah. that I think the Browns maximize the players that they have and then make those tough decisions when that time comes. But, hey, 
Look, if anything, if this city learned anything in the last decade and a half, it's to appreciate the good players in this town while they're here because they're not going to be here forever, and you better hope that they win you a championship before they leave. Totally agree. Uh, I was ecstatic yesterday. Uh, Higgins returns, reportedly taking less money um, to come back. I'm a big Higgins fan. I know most everybody in Cleveland is huge city favorite, uh, and he certainly, with him and uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones, I think they really sure up that room. Uh, you know, my concern that I think I talked to you about last time about fringe players playing with Baker while other guys are, and it's not so much of a concern now because of COVID-19 and everything, and they're not on the field, but um, we eventually, when they do, you know, you have two, you're starting your top two receivers, uh, you know, rehabbing still. I don't know to what extent they are in their rehab from their surgeries, but you want to have relevant players that are going to be contributing, uh, running the reps and, and the installs with Baker. You don't want to have guys that are going to get cut doing those with Baker because that's just a waste, right? Um, so I think bringing back Higgins and having Donovan Peoples-Jones there really shows up that room. I, you kind of said the same thing earlier. Are you happy to see Higgins return? Sure, but we were talking uh, Higgins uh, here with Nick Shook of around uh, the NFL, at uh, the Nick Shook on Twitter, um, and uh, just talking about Higgins coming back with, uh, you know, Peoples-Jones in that room, and I feel a lot better about that situation. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and, you know, you were kind of alluding to, you know, the importance of, of getting these guys to work together, you know, with Odell and Jarvis and, and all of those guys together. And I think last year was a welcome wake-up call to, I think, everybody involved uh, to understand the importance of getting time spent together, to getting mm-hmm. your reps together, to getting an identity for your offense, figuring out what you want to accomplish as a unit, you know, Jarvis was on record, I think, around the time of the Super Bowl as saying, um, you know, they'd get 15, 20 plays into their game plan during the game, and he would have no idea what the hell the Browns were going to do offensively, what they were trying to accomplish that day offensively. He had no idea what the game plan was whatsoever. This is a leader on your team. So I think they understand the importance of that, and I also think that, you know, he'd be the first to tell you, and I think Odell would tell you, and Baker would tell you this as well, um, they were so worried about trying to get a fast start out of the gate that, uh, you know, they kind of – Odell, you know, played through his injury instead of getting it fixed when he could have gotten it fixed and came back after a few weeks into the season. um, You you know, he had to play through it all season and combined with them not getting the necessary reps together in the off season, they were never really on the same page, at least not until late in the season. Uh, We saw glimpses. Uh, There were, there was that catch in Denver when they were frantically trying to get down the field to try to go get the go ahead touchdown and ultimately fell short of doing that. I think that was week nine. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a few other glimpses where, uh, you know, you look back and you think, man, if he was fully healthy, he might've taken that one the distance. Uh, mm-hmm. the only time he really had that big play like that was against New York in week two. So, um, and a lot of those issues that they had were a lack of timing. They just, again, they weren't on the same page. So I think that organizationally, you know, you got a new coach in who's more about business and less about than a GM too, who they're all about business and not about, you know, puffing their chests out and talking a big game publicly. They're about getting the work done. And I think that, um, you know, I talked with a former Brown staffer in the combine at the combine and 
um, you know, he kind of told me something similar. It was like, hey, these guys just got to, they got to lock in and realize that it's not that easy. They got to put the work in. They got to stop kind of, um, you know, freewheeling and, and, and allowing that type of thing to happen. Um, you know, it's, it's one thing yeah. if your guys are expressive players, that's fine. It's another thing if nobody is on the same page and nobody knows what the game plan is and they're all just kind of doing their own thing on the field and kind of just chucking the ball up, that kind of thing. So I think that, um, you know, they've all gotten that wake-up call, and the, the pandemic is going to make things weird. Uh, you know, definitely. it's uncertain. It's definitely uncertain right now. Um, but if we can get back to normalcy and they can get on the field in the next few months, then I think that you'll see them all there or 90% of them there because there are some returning faces, but there are some new faces, and there's a new offense to learn and understand together. And I think they're going to need that time to figure that out before the season gets here. Hey, quick, one other question that just popped in my head. Are you familiar with what Joe Woods is going to run defensively? Um, I don't actually don't know a ton about that yet, no. So. Me neither. I've been trying to figure it out. I mean, because in, in San Francisco, they ran uh, Seattle's, uh, what, uh, press bail, whatever, uh, yeah. before, right, the Seattle defense, and uh, – I didn't know if he was going to bring that here. I hope not, because um, that's a real schemey. You know what I mean? That's uh, mm-hmm. um, takes you a couple of years, I think, for guys to really get into that that defense. Uh, well, I mean, if they wanted to go that route, they've got the youth for the most mm-hmm. part. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting. I, I don't know what he – I mean, we know he's going to go – with the same setup uh, four three, right? You know, just because the person. Yeah, yeah. And you know what's funny is like a lot of that doesn't matter nearly as much as we. Doesn't think matter at all. Yeah, they'll probably play. And it still matters a little bit because like you convert yeah. an end to a to a, a rush linebacker, but at the same time, there's a reason that we started to classify guys just as edge, because yeah. whether they're hands in the ground or they're standing up, they're still on the edge and they're yep. on the line. So it doesn't matter quite as much as it used to. Very true. Um, and and you know. Basically, for the Browns, you kind of want to limit as many linebackers as you need on the field at this point. Uh, I mean, I want Mac Wilson out there, and and but we'll see. I mean, I don't know. Beyond that, we really don't know. Uh, I mean, it's so young, right? But you've got B.J. Goodson, as you met, mentioned earlier, has some experience. But he's a guy, you know, great coming forward, can play the run, but it really struggles in coverage, right? So I just don't know uh, – what they do with this, I mean, really, that linebacker room is really, really raw, Nick. I mean, really young and really nobody proven in there, really. I don't know. Can you could you see them maybe going out and trying to get, like, a Nigel Bradham or something like that? I think that could help them. They have the cap space to do it for a short-term deal. Um, and Andrew Barry kind of – you know, uh, push back against the notion that he was done remaking the roster for the offseason. Yeah, that. In, that, in that appearance on GMFB today, uh, he said, you know, we they still got space to do some stuff, and I think they are going to still do some stuff. I'm also, like, interested in the current linebacking core. I'm interested to see how they use Sione Takitaki because he was basically Joe Schobert's backup last year, and I think he has the intensity to do that, but there was something interesting in his college film that I kind of liked that stood out. I remember sitting in, in the, the Browns draft room with John Dorsey last year after the draft and watching um, some of the tape of Taki Taki and he was just showing, you know, why they loved him so much. And, and I noticed when he was at BYU because of his, his athleticism, he basically did like all three linebacker spots. And yeah. what was interesting to me was when they had him playing Sam and he was up in the line, 
how quickly he shot down the end of the line. And maybe this is just because he was blitzing, but he closed and, and went down the line and stuffed the running back a yard or two deep in the backfield who was just getting a simple handoff. And I was like, man, I wonder how much damage he could do as like a Sam on the line. I don't know if he's big enough, and that's probably the, the biggest issue and why he's not that guy and why he ended up playing in the middle yeah. as opposed to an on-ball linebacker. But I'm always just kind of intrigued with guys with speed like that if maybe they could use them in a dual role or something like that. But I know they're not quite as deep to just deploy him wherever they want, but they could move some pieces around if they're trying to figure this whole group out. Yeah. I mean, if if it, if they went into the season as it stands, it would seem that they would kind of have to piece it together, right? Like, well, we know he can do this. We know he can do this. You know. And, and like you, you were alluding to, I mean, 75% of the time they're going to be in some sort of a sub package anyway. Right. It's just the way the NFL is. But uh, still, um, you, gotta, you know, I like Mac Wilson. I know he, you know, people have been a little bit hard on, you know, his season last year, but you got to love his athleticism and, his, you know, the intensity he plays with. I think he'll oh. be a good linebacker eventually. Oh, yeah. I I think last season should not discourage you at all. If anything, it should encourage you. Um, I agree. Yeah. He made a lot of plays. I know it's the preseason, but he made a lot of plays in preseason. He was all over the field in practice. Yeah. I mean, on an almost daily basis, he's picking guys off. And and he kind of came on strong toward the end of the season there with that interception of Kyler Murray, his first career one in Arizona. And I think he's a guy that you should be very excited about. I think he can only get better. He's got the natural ability, and the Browns lucked out with the fact that he was there in the fifth round. In fact, if you look at their linebacking core, that's the only guy you can definitely guarantee is going to be in that group right now is Mac Wilson. And the rest, especially if you're going nickel, Mac, like Mac Wilson's going to be in the field when you're going nickel, and then you have to figure out who the other linebacker is in the field in that package. It's that simple. Yeah. Um, and I think that's all you can ask for out of a guy you got in the fifth round. I mean, how harsh can you be on a guy who I think has a ton of upside and, and should only get better? Yeah, he was a steal, I think, in that round. And I don't know why he's done so far, but, uh, you know, he – he just uh, you you just love like you said his athleticism and, and he you know uh, the playing time he got last year uh, because of injury you know next to Schober where you know we watched Schober grabbing him and putting him in the right place and things like that at times but you know he that's that's hugely valuable for the Browns this year so. Uh, I think that that was uh, and will end up being a big benefit. All right, so here's what I want to do with you, Nick. Uh, you've been outstanding and patient, and I've kept you way longer than probably uh, I intended to. But you know what? I just uh, have such a good time talking with you. I can't. I don't even know. I just just keep going. I'm sorry. An update. An update is he he's moved up to number two in the rankings. <laughs> or maybe even one you don't even know uh, so uh, around the NFL is who you work for so let's do a little segment here kind of a, a quick fire at you you know you don't have to elaborate I'm just going to kind of give you some stuff going on around the NFL one's a little Browns related but some other stuff that's uh, intriguing right now and then just give me your couple thoughts on that and what you think about uh, how that's going then and then we'll get you out of here finally, as I have kept you hostage long enough. All right, lock and load. All right, here we go. So uh, let's start with this. Uh, Seattle has given away Clowney's number uh, back to the player that – I don't even know the player's name. That it's sold Jerron it to, Reed. Yeah, that sold it to him in the first place. Uh, does this – I mean, ultimately, that's either a really good business decision by the player – because you can sell it back to him again if he comes back. <laughs> or, uh, 
or he's not coming back, which is what we've kind of heard. Uh, you still think the Browns are in on Clowney? I think the Browns are only in on Clowney if Clowney has no market otherwise. And I know that there was a big holding period because the draft was coming and teams were going to see what they could do to address the position through the draft, which would obviously be the cheaper move. Uh, I think Seattle is done with Clowney. I think that the number thing might be a little bit more of a ceremonial indicator than anything. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think that they were probably mostly done with him before the draft. And then after the draft, they could probably close the book on him. I think the Titans probably still have the best chance of getting him. But I, mm-hmm. I think this is going to be a drawn-out process um, financially and, and I think a little bit of health-wise, not nearly as much as a guy like Cam Newton, but maybe just a little bit uh, financially, though, I think is the big thing. And, and it's probably just going to be a stalemate for a while. Now, if the Titans end up walking away and then Clowney has no market, then maybe the Browns swoop in. Or maybe the Browns don't realize that the Titans are playing hardball harder than the Browns are. Um, but I don't think it's a position of need. It would just be kind of adding to a surplus. You can get him on a bargain deal, much less than what he'd been offered in Seattle because he's got very little of a market elsewhere than maybe ends up there. But I don't think that's something that happens anytime soon, even though we're after the draft and we're also after the deadline for free agent, uh, unrestricted free agent additions to affect your compensation pick calculation for the next year. We're past that deadline. So um, if the Browns signed him now, they would, it wouldn't hurt their ability to get a comp pick next year for somebody that they may have lost in free agency, that kind of thing. Okay. Uh, even then, I think you're still. I don't think we're going to see any resolution on this extremely soon. Okay. Um, what if he goes below uh, Vernon's fifteen five? I mean, or even in like down to the ballpark of fifteen five, where basically the way Vernon's contract is structured right now, there's there's no dead cap money, right? So they can just toss him out and sign Clowney and it would be like a, a one for one, wouldn't it? Yeah, because in part because they acquired him in trade, uh Vernon, yeah. that is. Um I think you could probably ride with both for this season and then cut bait with uh with Vernon or you get Clowney on a one year prove it deal and then you decide, you know, on one of the two guys next year. Uh it's not it wouldn't be a bad thing to pursue. Um but I don't think that it's necessary to have one or the other. I think you could actually have both if you really wanted to. Um, I don't know how, how useful that might be on a per-down basis, but I don't think it's an absolute that you got to cut one to get rid of the other one. Interesting. Okay. Uh, Cam Newton is now the odds-on favorite in Vegas, minus 190 uh, to the Patriots. Uh, the next two are the Jaguars at plus 300 and the Steelers at plus 700. And then the Broncos and then the Bears. You, if you could pick one team, where do you think Cam Newton ends up? Why did it? The Patriots. Why did it take so long for him to be the favorite to end up in, or for New England to be the favorite for his destination? This has been the best fit the, the entire time. Um, I, I think because they didn't take a quarterback in the draft. Okay, that would make sense. But I think I don't even think that really affected it that much to begin with, unless they've been a second round pick. Because like after you got yeah. past the first three quarterbacks, most of them were developmental anyway. Um, yeah, and it was huge movement. It happened right after the draft. You wonder if something happened. I mean, like they know something, right? Um, well, that, that's always the thought, right? Vegas knows something that we don't. Um, right. I, I think that the pandemic is the biggest thing in Cam Newton's way right now, and that's right. unfortunate because it's the biggest thing in everyone's way. Yeah. And we don't know when it's going to get any better. And people, teams need to sit down with Cam Newton, and they need to – thoroughly examine his health because nothing 
but injuries have gotten in his way the last few years. And now it's a pandemic getting in his way as he continues to work out to try to seek employment. The other thing that might get in his way is his financial expectations. Um, James Winston just signed a $1.1 million contract with the Saints. Yeah. Uh, I thought James would have been a decent fit in Pittsburgh, and he might be a good fit in Pittsburgh beyond this year. Uh, but yeah. Kevin Colbert said today uh, on Pittsburgh radio that, that, that they did not look at backup options and that they're happy with where they are right now. So I still yeah. think the best fit for Cam is New England. I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon because of the fact that he can't go anywhere. If facilities open up in the next you know, month or two, then maybe that changes. Um, but right now I think there's going to be very little movement. And Jacksonville being the second favorite, um, it makes sense because of the whole Gardner Minshew being their best court, uh, quarterback situation. I get that. But um, the guy who's campaigning uh, to get him to Jacksonville has also been actively mentioned in trade talks. That's Leonard Fournette. So uh, <laughs> I don't think the Jaguars go after Cam Newton when I think that they're still in the midst of a, an attempt at, a, at a, a fluid rebuild or a rapid rebuild or uh, readjustment of a lot of their roster. So I don't think he ends up there. I think the Bears are going to ride with Nick Foles. Yeah. And who else was left in that group? The Broncos? That's not happening. Uh, and that was it, right? Yeah. So I mean, really, they're what? I mean, come on. They're, this is why this even, is it. This there's is why no New market. England's the place. New England no is market the place. For yeah. Yeah, but I mean, like, I don't even know. It's the place. It makes total sense. But who knows with Belichick, right? Yeah, and we also have the rest of the off season to go through. Things change very quickly in this league. Okay. All right. What about Andy Dalton? That makes even more sense in New England, but he's got to get traded for that to happen. So, um, unless they want to cut him, which I don't necessarily think that's going to happen. I think they no. kind of keep him on the roster. I have a feeling that he's going to be on the roster this whole year, and we might see a transition between the two. So you think it's more likely than not, Nick, that the Patriots' starting quarterback is not Stidham? Uh, I think that the Patriots make a move for Jacoby Brissett. Really? Yeah. Because Indianapolis has Phillip Rivers and who was it? Did they draft Jacob Eason as well? I think they, they did. Drafted. Yeah. They did. So there's your starter and your backup. And then Eason's the guy that, that you want to develop. And I've had a lot of names fly by. That's why I didn't know Eason off the top of my head. But yeah. um, that's, I think that's your situation. You've got Rivers for this year. You hope Eason learns behind him. Maybe you extend Rivers for one more year if you can convince him to come back next year and all things go fairly well. I think Jacoby Brissett was headed out the door as soon as they signed Phillip Rivers. And I think he was headed out the door as soon as Chris Ballard talked about him at the podium in Indianapolis in February, frankly. So I think that the best uh, pairing is to send him back to where he came from in New England because he had some success in New England and they had to give up, you know, Philip Dorsett and other assets to get him in the first place. So yeah. like, why not New England go after a guy that they know can can find some success in their offense? I think it makes a lot of sense, even more sense than Cam Newton there. Yeah, because, he, you know, he's done it before, right? He's had success there. They, they know him and um, they won with him. Now – then what happens to Cam? I mean, could Cam Newton end up sitting out until there's like a major injury? Um, yeah, that major injury because of the situation we're in, that major injury could happen earlier than we think. Um, yeah, you know, we talked about this kind of thing during the lockout in 2011. That those guys mm -hmm. are going to hit camp, they're going to hit it running, and they might not be prepared to run. Mm -hmm. uh, we could end up in a similar situation with this. So, okay. hope you All hope right. the hope you hope that that doesn't come to that. 
and that he figures out a place to play for uh, before then, but I think it could be a possibility. There's just, I mean, musical chairs, and the, and the music has stopped, and he is without a chair. Yeah. Um, and so I just don't know where he's going to end up, you know, so I don't know. Um, I agree that the Patriots really makes sense, the only one that makes sense, but I agree that Brissett makes more sense, so who knows, right? Um, and my last question for you is, you know, the the draft and, and what Green Bay did with Jordan Love, uh, they trade a fourth-round pick to get up uh, over some teams that probably weren't going to take a quarterback. Um, and to take Jordan Love in the first round, and then they go through the rest of the draft, don't draft a wide receiver, they draft a, a running back that really can't catch the ball out of the backfield. He's a run-only running back. Um, they draft a fullback, right? Uh, they, they don't address the weapons around Rodgers. Uh, Love is there now, and Rodgers has four years left on his deal, and he, he doesn't – I mean, it's not like he's fallen off a cliff, uh, you know, and he's going to be done in like two years. I see Rodgers playing out that contract more than likely, um, unless he just gets so fed up with Green Bay and wants to trade or something. But is there something going on behind the scenes that we don't know? Like I heard some rumors about like the disrespect that Rodgers won't show for Lafleur or whatever. Um, I mean, was this done out of spite? Because this is a blatant, like, hey, they're in the Super Bowl window. Uh, they got absolutely slaughtered in the run game against uh, San Francisco in the NFC Championship game, 180-plus yards before contact in the run game. And you don't take a defensive player or an offensive player. You take a guy the only guy that you could take that will have no effect on your team and actually probably piss off your quarterback. I don't think that it's done in spite. Every indication I've gotten is that, you know, that, that it's a lot more peaceful between Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers than it was between Aaron Rodgers and Mike McCarthy. Okay. Um, you know, they had a lot of success together early on, and I think that they'll continue to have success. I think this was the Packers, you know, trying to protect against – the um the unknown or or i mean injury let's, look let's look at this way yeah injury because it's not too long ago that aaron Rodgers suffered multiple injuries that knocked him out for a substantial amount of time and they were forced to turn to brent hunley or they were forced to turn to deshaun kaiser uh if you could name green bay's backup quarterback last year i could give you a dollar without googling it okay because that's where they were for the majority of the season. Their their franchise's hopes live and ride on the arm and the health and the availability of Aaron Rodgers. And I think right. that they found themselves that, with a potential vulnerability that they didn't want exploited um, in an unfortunate manner in the future. And they said, you know what, why not prepare both in the short term, much like the Eagles did with Jalen Hurts, which is another topic for another day, um, which I support that pick, by the way. Uh they went and protected against injury. They kind of hedged against that. And they also picked a guy that they could potentially develop into a quarterback to replace Aaron Rodgers. 
because he has the physical tools necessary. He's just got to work on a lot of things to continue to develop at a higher level of football. So it was stunning, though, because why not pick an, a weapon for your quarterback when you're in a window to compete? Why not go after a, a player who can make a difference on defense? I think that the way, the area that they were picking was kind of a tough spot for them in terms of need. Um, I don't think that I mean, they were necessarily qual. There were there were specific players that they wanted to fill spots, but I also we've also it's also been made basically public since then that they were adamant about getting Jordan Love. So I think that this is their goal the whole time. They had a deal in place with the Seahawks that they couldn't get up to 26. They got up to 26. They would have gotten up to 27 if they had gotten up to 26 to take Love. They were going to take him. So um, I think again they they probably just realized that look, we need a quarterback of substance behind Aaron Rodgers. Why not get the guy we can develop into our franchise quarterback when he's done? I guess. I don't get it, man. I don't get it. Four years. Yeah. <laughs> time time flies when you're having fun. I guess. That's a tough spot for Jordan Love, too. Uh, you know, hey, welcome aboard. You're going to be sitting for four years. Uh, hopefully Rodgers knows better than Brett Favre did. Yeah, I hope so too. But I just, it just doesn't make sense to me. It's just like, hey, we're in the window now. There's only a few ways that we can add, we can get better. This seems to me like the one pick that doesn't get them any better immediately. Like they could have taken Patrick Queen. I mean, there, there's a lot of picks there that could have helped them on defense that got gashed. And on an offense that really lacks beyond Adams, uh, you know, talent on the outside. Yeah, I thought receiver would have made the most sense of that pick. Um, defensively, would have been made the second most sense. Love didn't make seven receivers drafted, Nick, and they didn't take one. I know. Well, that's the power of uh, Alan Lazard. You know, I don't know. Lazard. <laughs> I mean, he, he's not bad. I mean. I, I Equinemius St. Brown. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe they think uh, – I don't know what they're thinking. I, I mean, I, I get what you're saying now more. Like, to me, Hurts made sense more in green in, in the, with the Eagles because he's always hurt. And – you can, you know, you can maybe, t- you know, taste some hill on a little bit, right? Package here, package there. Yeah, right. I kind of hate that comparison, but yeah. Okay. But why? Just because there is only one Taysom Hill? No, I think Jalen Hurts is more of a quarterback, quarterback than Taysom Hill ever was. Right. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I'm just saying, you know, maybe they try to find a way to get him on the field a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I I was baffled by the pick, and uh, but I mean, I, you made it, you made it make more sense to me. I get it. Um, I guess I just four years. Who? I mean, the only thing that would like justify that to me is like if they real. I mean, they must really love him. I mean, they I, must. I really think they, I think they do. I think they do a lot. I mean, you don't. When you go get a guy in the first round, you get him because you like him or, or you feel forced. And I think that I mean, they went and got him because they liked him a lot. Because basically you're saying, like, in the next four years, there is no human out there that will be the equivalent of Jordan Love that we can get on our roster. And I, I think that, that was their argument was, you know, 
there's no guarantee that this type of player will be available in the draft next year. Really? And the hope is, for them is that they're not picking very high enough to get a guy like that. So they think, we could turn this guy into a franchise quarterback and get him at the end of the first round. And they made water into wine once with Aaron Rodgers, who should have been drafted higher, and a lot yeah. of people realize that. If he hadn't played at Cal at the same time that Matt Liner was at USC, then people probably would have recognized that. Um, I don't think that's necessarily an apples-to-apples apples comparison here. Interesting. Hey, man, you made more sense of it than anybody else I've heard. So, kudos to you. Uh, on that <laughs> I one, tried. I, I was uh, baffled a little bit. Um, wonderful job, Nick. Thank you for allowing me to uh, take up your evening here. I'll let you go now. Uh, you are such a great uh, uh, guest. Uh, you're so knowledgeable, and uh, you know I'm going to be calling you again here soon. So, uh, <laughs> of course. <laughs> you're fantastic, and uh, I have such a good time talking with you. So uh, I appreciate your knowledge tonight. Uh, Nick Shook, at the Nick Shook, a must-follow on Twitter, and uh, at Around the NFL. Um, and you can read all of his stuff there that he's doing, uh, articles all the time uh, uh, about the NFL. Uh, so uh, the goings-on in the NFL. So uh, any parting words for us, Nick? Uh, uh, I don't know. Hunker down, continue going on, stay safe, and uh, wash your hands. Wash your hands. For how long are you supposed to wash your hands for? 20 seconds at least. 20 seconds. Don't touch your face. Oops, geez, it's really hard to do when you're thinking about it. <laughs> Anyways, uh, thank you so much, Nick. You are the best. Nick Shook, uh, uh, once again, around the NFL. Uh, stay safe. Uh, and uh, you're like I said, you're a gentleman and a scholar, and we appreciate you. Hey, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Anytime. Hey, have a great night. You too. There it was. That was Nick Shook, the one and only from around the NFL of NFL Media. You can follow him at the Nick Shook on Twitter, and uh, around the NFL is at around the NFL on Twitter. Terrific job breaking everything down there for us. Want to get into two, three things here before we get off the air here tonight on All Eyes on Cleveland. Hope you have enjoyed it uh, as uh, Nick was tremendous as always. So the Browns here is uh, 
get the Mikey to take care of the ones and twos there. Uh, as the Browns have uh, picked up uh, just some news and notes, let's handle some biz, some business here. Fifth year option, David and Joku picked up. Fifth year option. Uh, Miles Garrett picked up uh, around the league. The Giants uh, just uh, did the same. Fifth-year option, Evan Ingram, and a name of note, fifth-year option on Jabril, pardon me, Peppers, uh, a former Brown, went over there in the uh, trade. So there is that. Um, And we just want to get into, real quickly here, uh, I do, uh, Higgins. The, the Higgins story, Higgins is a fan favorite. He comes back on this deal. Everybody loves it. It's awesome. Uh, he was drafted in 2016. This makes him the longest tenured Browns wide receiver on the roster right now. Uh, just to go with this, uh, he was drafted in a draft where there was four wide receivers taken. Uh, and that includes... Um, Corey Coleman, Ricardo Lewis, Jordan Payton, and then Rashad Higgins was the last one taken at number 172 in the draft. Interesting note there, the only one around. Uh, Corey Coleman still in the NFL with the Giants, uh, nursing back an injury. Um, And uh, 2018, Higgins had his coming out party, 39 receptions, 572 yards and four touchdowns, started the red carpet walk. Uh, everybody loved it uh, and then uh, last year just four receptions 55 yards and a touchdown albeit it was a game winner against Buffalo he hurt his knee in the opener missed six games played very little uh, after he came back from the injury over the last six games this is a quote from Kitchens when pressed on the issue quote Callaway is playing better no uh, and uh and uh, he is earning the time on the field. Um, however, when game day came around, Callaway did not perform. Uh, and it was obvious that there was something going on. Um, and to be fair, as Kitchens returns, and I am a, a huge Kitchens fan, but he did refuse to go on the field against Seattle, which is an immature and a bad move, which is why I'm glad he gets his second chance because I'm sure a lot of coaching staffs would come in, hear those stories, and say, you know what, we're not dealing with a guy like that. Uh, so he's back in the fold, though, uh, filling out the room um, better, especially with Peoples-Jones there now as well. Uh, you remember the way that this was all handled by Kitchens. He handled it like a child, uh, telling press to go ask Hig what happened two weeks ago. Um, multiple, twice, I think he did that, to go talk to Higgins. Higgins didn't want to talk about it the second time. First time, he said he was ready to play, contradicting what Kitchens has said. He wasn't ready to come back yet. He said he didn't understand why he wasn't playing, wasn't ready. So you had this back and forth between the two, uh, tenuous, stressful relationship, not handled well by either side. Kitchens A uh, did not handle the situation well at all. Uh, you, I don't think you should ever be saying go talk to a player about what happened to 
two weeks ago as if he's supposed to, you know, turn around and say, oh, I was wrong, I was so wrong, you know, coach is right, you know, but, but he did refuse to go on the field. We're glad he's back. Love Hig. Can't wait for the red carpet. He'd Baker Mayfield and him have a chemistry uh, there, and he's a guy that, you know, as I have multiple times expressed uh, concern about uh, his return, uh, or not his not return, but the rehab of Landry and Beckham causing at times um, the uh, inability for the Browns to have players that will contribute on the field during his reps when they get into camp. So there it is. Higgins returns, played the welcome back for him, talked to him, uh, talked about it with uh, Nick Shook in the interview. Other move, the one move I want to see the Browns make, Nigel Bradham, linebacker, uh, formerly of the Eagles, some other teams would like to see them sign him. He has some much-needed uh, depth and uh, experience needs to be added to a room which is full of uh, youth and inexperience, uh, certainly at the linebacker room. Uh, Tomorrow, we're back tomorrow, with Jonathan Abbott, senior analyst of PFF. PFF gave the Browns an A+. Plus on their draft. We're going to talk to Jonathan about how those grades are, uh, you know, devised or calculated through the analytics over there at PFF. Uh, talk about the Browns draft in general, around the NFL stuff, all that good stuff. Jonathan Abbott will make for a great guest uh, from uh, senior analyst at Pro Football Focus. That's tomorrow. Hope you enjoyed the show tonight. You can catch the show where all popular podcasts are found will be published at USA Today Sports Media Groups, thebrownswire.com. It's all eyes on Cleveland. Go to all eyes on Cleveland.com. Thanks again to Nick Shook. Great job uh, today, tonight uh, on the show. Killed it as usual. I uh, hope everybody stays safe out there. We'll be back tomorrow with another hard hitting interview here from All Eyes on Cleveland. Uh, for Mikey, I am Brad Ward. We are. Out.
Oh, man.